This is the Stacking Days podcast, the podcast about the healing experience of recovery for people of color by people of color. This show is for the purpose of education and connection and is not a replacement for therapy or recovery care. We suggest you seek out the support of a trained professional for guidance with your specific circumstance. I'm your host, Ray Donovan, and I've been alcohol-free since September 2021. Welcome to the show. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the show, the Stacking Days podcast. Uh, again, I'll start this off the way that I always start off these shows in that I'm extremely excited uh, to invite the guest in uh, that we have today. I think that, you know, through this conversation, you'll probably gather that um, he's come a long way and he's doing amazing things. Uh, you know, just to kind of give you some some quick highlights that at least I know about observing him from afar He's an author. He's an inspirational speaker. He's an entrepreneur. Um, so, you know, as you can see, he's doing a lot of things. Um, the gentleman's name is Nicolas Morales, better known as Nico. Uh, and I want to invite him to the mic just to introduce himself and then we'll get into it. Nico, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Raymond, for having me, man. I'm super excited to have this dialogue with you. And uh, thank you for whoever's listening. I hope to add some value into your life, um, inspire you in some way. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Nico, just really quickly, why don't we just give folks a, a, a sample set of, of who you are and what you're about? Um, I think that you're a New Mexico native, correct? So you're not that far from me. I'm in Colorado. Um, I have yet to make my way down to, uh, to Mexico, hopefully you know, this, coming, uh, this coming spring and summer. But would love to learn a little bit more about, about who Nico is, um, what you're up to these days, and then maybe give folks maybe a 10 to 15 minute recap on your own journey with substances, I know that it's it's complicated. Um, so I, I want to hand the mic over to you so we can get into it. Sweet, man. Yeah. Um, thank you for so much not saying Mexico and saying New Mexico. I appreciate that, <laughs> first and foremost. And uh, when you do drop by, please let me know. Uh, love to give you a little bit of tour if I can. Absolutely. Uh, what I'm up to right now, uh, I am up to inspiring people, uh, inspiring people to make change in their life um, and achieve their definition of sober. Um, I do that various ways. Um, I give presentations on change, decision-making, and communication skills. Um, that's one of the ways that I kind of inject into our communities now. Uh, the other way is that I wrote a book for individuals who are thinking about making the change. Um, it's called Five Things to Know Before You Get Sober. Um, so I got that and it got published. Uh, in addition to that, I do have my own small coaching program for individuals who uh, are looking for just some more one-on-one -on -one or group work. Uh, so that's what I'm up to right now, is really helping individuals develop into the next best version of themselves. Uh, I own an organization uh, called No Halo Speaking. The reason why I named it No Halo Speaking was because individuals used to call me an angel for the work that I was doing. And I laugh at that because I'll share more of my story here in a little bit, but definitely not an angel. So if I, if I am going to be an angel and people are going to label me that, then I have no halo whatsoever. Uh, so that's where the name of my organization come, came from. Uh, the website is nohalonm.com if you're interested in any more of those uh, services that I offer or just need a ear because I love to talk to people and listen to their stories. Awesome. Uh, 10 minutes to give a background, man. I love it. Uh, so I grew up Albuquerque, New Mexico, Burke, the Duke City. Uh, we were created in 1706, uh, is where Albuquerque was started. 
and uh, we have a rich culture here. It's uh, very much diverse. There is uh, traditional Mexicans. There are uh, native indigenous individuals, so I'm surrounded by reservations. And then there are uh, people that have came. We call them implants. Okay. Uh, and they, they've planted here in Albuquerque. Uh, born and raised, uh, I am 33 years old this year. And I have been abstinent from heroin for 10 years. I've been abstinent from alcohol uh, for, I think we're going on six years now. Mm. Uh, the reason why I really started to consume, ingest, inject, inhale uh, substances was because I had a adverse childhood experience that made me feel really rejected. Mm. Uh, at the age of two years old, my sister was brought into this world and there were some complications in the hospital. Um, two-year-old Nico had to be passed around to different places. Uh, got to stay at my grandma's house, at auntie's houses. You know, the family really stepped up to take care of little Nico while uh, my mom and dad went and took care of my sister in the hospital. Uh, doctors said my sister wasn't going to live past a year. So that first year that my sister was uh, on this planet, full focus was on her. That was uh, pretty traumatic to young two-year-old Nico. At that age, we kind of really start to uh, get imprints of what's around us, right? So if it's not presently in your presence, then it's never coming back. That's the way that a two-year-old mind works. Right. I'm blessed to say that my sister is still around. She has two children and she's uh, 30. She'll be 31 here in a couple of weeks. Um, so after that first year passed on, uh, you know, my parents, I can only imagine what they were going through, uh, having uh, two children, first of all, and then one of them that has some you know, complications. Uh, I'm so proud of them for taking care of me the way that they did because they did the absolute best that they could. But as we all know, our perception and our perspective is formed um, from young ages. So from age about three to six, I got to hang out with my grandpa and my grandma a lot. Um, and then about age seven, my grandfather passed away. So again, I'm start, starting to uh, develop this like, well, what's going on in the world? How come people are starting to just pass me around? I was no longer staying at my grandma's. I was staying at my, at my parents' house now. Um, everybody did. I want to stress this the best that they could. Um, it just didn't Im implant in my head the right way. Mm -hmm. uh, so from a very young age, I dealt with rejection. That is the, one of the root issues that young Nico had and he carried on. Um, fast forward to about 14, teenage Nico starts to remember some things. In addition to the rejection, I had some adverse childhood experiences and trauma. Um, I don't want to trigger anybody, but there was just some things that shouldn't have happened to a young child uh, that happened to me. So uh, I grew up thinking that there was something wrong with me. Um, there's got to be something wrong with me because uh, if there is a God, then he's punishing me and uh, I must have done something wrong. So uh, why would I want to, why would I want to be around a God that doesn't even like me? Right. Uh, that's kind of how I formed my thoughts. And at 14, I had a, uh, what they call a repressed memory come back and that repressed memory just, I couldn't handle it. I didn't know how to process it. I didn't know how to deal with it until I met cannabis. Uh, I was rolling around with some dudes that I probably shouldn't have been rolling around with. And uh, they passed me a blunt one day. I take a hit. My mind seemed to just balance out. I'm like, what, what is this stuff? This is, this is amazing. I feel, I feel normal. Mm. I, I don't feel that internal angst anymore. Like, 
my brain doesn't feel pressure anymore. It's like uh, there was a, a a pressure release valve and cannabis did it. Mm. Man, I wasn't going to let cannabis go whatsoever. Around the same time, uh, I had found a sport as well. I was a wrestler. I grew up wrestling. I grew up wrestling with my cousins. I grew up wrestling with the neighbors, uh, wrestling at the park. And then I found out that you could do it for a sport. Oh, man, I fell in love. So I started competing in wrestling. Wow. Those two things were cornerstones for 14-year-old Nico. As long as I could go into the wrestling room and beat somebody up without getting into trouble, and as long as I could smoke, man, I was happy. Hmm. I didn't care about anything else, and I didn't deal with anything else. We're going to fast forward another seven more years um, to actually four more years. We'll fast forward. 18-year-old Nico uh, is now having to um, navigate a little bit differently. 18-year-old Nico works full-time on during the summer construction. Uh, he goes to school, uh, you know, just like every 12th grader. And he's also living a double life because I needed to support my habit. I needed to uh, ensure that I could pay for my stuff. Money seemed to be a conversation that was happening around the house all the time, and it wasn't uh, a fun conversation. So I knew that if I wanted to help out my family, let me take that financial stress off of them for taking care of me. Mm-hmm. That's what I did. Got very good at hustling, got very good at moving logistically certain things and ensuring that I had uh, what I made me stay comfortable. Again, cannabis and wrestling. About the same time, I get myself a scholarship. I'm about to go wrestle at Northern Arizona University. Full ride. All I got to pay for is food. Man, my parents are so proud of me because the environment that I came from, you, we didn't have funds to go to college. If I didn't get a scholarship, then I was going to go to work. I had already been working full time on a construction site with grown men. It wasn't the worst thing, but I knew it wasn't the best thing. Mm-hmm. I wanted to get out of Albuquerque. Unfortunately, uh, the wrestling coaches changed uh, for my school, and me and this new coach, we did not get along. The way I like to describe it is that uh, I was top dog on the wrestling squad. Me and my two boys, we were about to take state. I was wrestling 171s, the 189-pounder and the 160-pounder. We all rolled together. But... Just like any other situation, you cut off the head and you get to control the rest of the community. Mm-hmm. Well, I was the head and he wanted to cut me off. Mm. I wasn't going to break for no man. I could stand 10 toes down against, 10 toes against anybody. I'd already done it. I've been in situations where I had uncles threaten to jump me. I had uh, situations uh, because of my dealings that I wasn't afraid of nobody. You know, cocky little 18 year old. Right. That situation ended up where I quit wrestling. And I said, screw this. I know how to make money. I'm not only working, but I'm also hustling on the side. That time I was moving pills. Oxycontin was brand new to the game. And I knew people who had prescriptions. So $4,000 coming in every week off of these pills, man. I felt mm. like the top dog. Right. How wrong I was. How wrong I was. Because uh, there's a song by Biggie. It's the Ten Crack Commandments. Mm-hmm. One of them says, don't get high on your own supply. Mm-hmm. I tapped into my own supply. Mm. Unfortunately, I started uh, snorting oxys at first. Then I started smoking oxy. I had so many of them that it didn't matter. I was still making profit. I was also moving some cocaine at the time. Um, so I had multiple streams coming in. I've always had this entrepreneurial spirit, Raymond. Like I've been at it since I was a youngster. But because I broke the rules of the game, well, you have to pay the consequences. So... 18 years old, I quit wrestling. I'm very uh, rebellious, as my parents like to say it. 
I'm out in the streets doing my thing, and uh, I get hooked on opioids. Mm. 2010 rolls around, get detained on some robbery stuff. Oxycontin ends up uh, getting pulled from the streets, and I uh, turn to black tar heroin. Repeat that cycle, and these depressants made me feel better than cannabis ever, ever had. Like, I could get away from all the stuff. I could get away from the world. You know, 20 years old after being detained and parents are freaking out. Like, what are you doing, man? I didn't know how to communicate what was happening inside of me. I had this internal tension of wanting to do right, but also wanting to be the top dog on the block. Really, I was just hurt and didn't know how to express it. I end up sleeping in my truck uh, for many months, various Walmart parking lots, um, different street corners, and I'm doing all the street things. Got down to 120 pounds, Raymond, as a 20-year-old, uh, doing armed robberies, selling drugs, and just running, running a mess of my life. 22, though, I had already seen so many people around me pass away. I would already seen so much trauma that... I was I was fed up with it. There's got to be a reason that I'm still here mm-hmm. after everything that I have been through. Um, this God that I thought hated me, I ended up talking to. If you are real, what's up? I'm here. Let's let's have a conversation. Now I don't want to get preachy on anybody, but I am a believer. So me and God start talking all the time. He becomes my solace. He becomes my place. He's like, you need to stop that. Okay. So I stopped using heroin. Um, did it what they call cold turkey. I didn't go to any treatment, didn't do any uh, medically assisted treatments, anything like that. I just white knuckled my way through it. Hmm. I'm still working at this time because I know how to hold a job, highly functional, as they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm still hustling on the side. My parents are wanting to help me out. And because I'm no longer using opioids, uh, they let me back into the house. Uh, my parents had to split up about this time. So me and my dad are living together. Uh, all my family says, hey, as long as you're not doing drugs, we're cool with it. Easy enough. No problem. I already had my run with the drugs. What I didn't have a run with yet was alcohol, though. Hmm. So, uh, 23, I start drinking with the boys. We go to the clubs. My homies are like, Nico's back, right? Everybody knows that Nico's not using anymore. Well, unfortunately, I start drinking because I hadn't dealt with those internal conflicts, that internal tension. That little young Nico that felt rejected all the time, he hadn't been nurtured enough. For the next five years, I'm drinking on a daily basis, and uh, just like all the other uses, I end up uh, overusing, over-drinking. I get to the point where I'm drinking two bottles of rum every day. Mm. Get up, and I slam a pint just to get functional and go to work. On my lunch break, at the corner store, buy me a half pint, slamming that real quick so I can function for the next four hours. After work, buy me a whole bottle and a pint, man, ready to Mm. rock. Hmm. put myself to sleep because my brain still hurt. I hadn't addressed the issues. I hadn't moved through the traumas. I hadn't processed who I was internally. Really, I hadn't established my own self-worth. I wasn't doing drugs, though. So what could anybody tell me? (laughs) Right. Foolish man I was, man. Foolish man I was. Eventually, my father tells me, hey, son, you're, uh, you're too much for me. You need to go. That rejection thing hit me again. My own dad says I'm kicks me out the house. My mom had already kicked me out of her house. My sister wasn't talking to me because you know, I was a mess. And she had heard some stories about me. Mm. Wandering the streets again, in my truck, repeating it. And I'm like, man, there's gotta be something different. That God, he's like, yeah, there is, but you haven't come to me. 
my family had a property. Uh, my mother, I should say, was given a property from her mother. And it was an abandoned home. And uh, my mom tells me, about 27 now, hey, you can go stay at that house, but it better not be your coffin. Okay. Thanks. Because it's cold out here on these streets. It's tough. I'm tired of showering at the gym and pretending like I have everything together. Right. Man, what a mess I was. So I'm sleeping in this abandoned building. I got a mattress. I got a hot plate because the only thing that was running was electricity. No plumbing, no heating, nada. I have a girl at this time that somewhat believes what I'm saying every once in a while. Mainly mm-hmm. she was just around because, you know, I cut some checks, paid some of the bills, made her feel nice every, every now and then. But internally, I had a hole. I had this empty pit that I, I just couldn't feel other until I was drinking. Again, I go back to God and I'm like, God, what, what did I do wrong? And uh, really, what it boiled down to was I didn't commit to um, identifying who I was. I didn't get to uh, fill up my own self-worth. And because I didn't identi- identify with who I was, who I was created to be, and all that I have been through, I kept on struggling. He says, until you change that portion, until you commit to me completely, you're going to have to deal with this. My job tells me, hey, you're drinking on the job. You've had seizures here at work. Uh, you need to go get yourself sorted out. We'll give you 60 days to do it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Thank you. Uh, I'm not a fan of Western medicine whatsoever. You know, they previously had tried to put me in rehabs. They tried sending me to the hospitals. They tried giving me drugs to take away the drug habit. It didn't make sense to me. So I was like, man, let me just do this the way that I had done it before. I'll reduce the amount that I was drinking until I get to none, and then I'll just white-knuckle it through. Well, I reduced what I was drinking all the way down to none, but I'd done some damage to my body, Raymond. Mm. Uh, I was about 260 pounds at this time, bloated, huge, drunk most of the time. So to be healthy, as they call it, I needed to lose some weight. Shorty that was with me, eh, she dipped out. Because you've changed. Um, Yeah, for the better. (laughs) (laughs) And it's okay if you don't want to be around me. The uh, doctors gave me, general practitioners, they gave me all kinds of stuff. And I just listen, whatever. I know what I need to do. Um, I committed my life to God. I went and got baptized, came out brand new. But that doesn't mean that the consequences were gone. All of a sudden, I'm walking with this limp. My hips hurt all the time. 28 years old, I get up. One evening, and I can't move my left leg. Like, I can't swing my leg out of bed. It's hurting. I feel around, and something doesn't feel right. I take my shirt off. I put it underneath my knee, and I yank my knee up, and all of a sudden, I hear this pop, and I can feel my leg move again. Like, I had control over it. I dislocated my hip in the middle of my sleep. The amount of times that I had passed out, sitting up, nodding off, drunk, ah. I cut off the blood vessels to my hip bones. The femoral heads died. So 28, I'm walking around with collapsed hips. Mm. Doctors are like, yeah, you're too far gone. You're going to need both your hips replaced. I don't know what you guys are talking about. (laughs) I ain't getting my hips replaced. I uh, pushed through that pain because, you know, I I had this weird feeling, this weird thought that I needed to punish myself more because this is my consequences. This, this is what I get for doing all that pain that I hurt everybody, my family, my community, myself. This is what it ends up to be because I never went to jail, got detained, but I had lawyers. Never caught a DWI because I could smooth talk my way out of some things. So I figured this is my punishment. I'll suck it up and I'll do it. 
Fast forward a couple more years, Raymond and my sister has her first child. And I'm like, yo, my uncles took care of me. There was a couple uncles that really looked out. And I want to be a cool uncle like that. I can't do it limping around. Can't pick up my niece. Can't go play with her like that. Mm-hmm. So I decide it's time to get these hips. 31 years old, I go f- try to find a doctor that's going to replace my hips. And that was a struggle in its own. Couldn't find anybody to uh, do this surgery on me mainly because of my age. Eventually, I find this doctor. He's like, yeah, you need them replaced. So I'll get them done, but you need to know that in 20 to 30 years, you're going to need another set. Mm-hmm. Cool, man. Who says I'm going to make it to 20 to 30 years from now? Let's do it. I just want to be able to walk and not be in pain because I'm living in pain, not taking any Tylenol because I'm an addict, right? As they like to say, I'm not taking any pain fillers. I'm not drinking. So I'm living in this pain. 31 years old, I uh, get both my hips replaced. That same year, man, uh, I graduated college. I went back and got a degree business administration completely for free. I have a lot of time to sit around, so this guy asked me, what are you the expert on? I'm the expert on getting clean, man. (laughs) What do you know? Well, write about that then. Maybe you could help some. I write this book, Five Things to Know Before You Get Sober, and all of a sudden, this publisher wants to publish it. I start making good decisions, and people are starting to accept me. People are starting to welcome me. And Raymond, a couple years from there, I'm doing interviews like this, sharing my story, man. That's awesome, man. That is, uh, that's, Nico, that's quite the story. I mean, and, you know, it's not even a story. That's a life, right? That's your life. Um, you know, and I'm not, I'm sure I'm not the first one to, to say that to you, but look, man, um, hats off to you on surviving, you know what I mean? And, and, and being a warrior and, you know, it's in having just, you know, had an opportunity now for just a short amount of time to talk to people in this kind of intimate setting. It really is true that everyone's journey is different. Right. And, you know, the fact that you were having this intimate conversation with with God and even in your dark days, that conversation was still ongoing to the point where, you know, you were able to accept that message and, and you know, and step into that new light, I think is extremely um, inspirational, man. So. Um, you know, hats off to you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted, I wanted to, uh, to ask you, uh, I mean, there's so much I want to ask you, but I think that one thing that I definitely want to ask you, ask you about is this concept around identifying who, who you are and identifying who you were going to become, you know, at what point in the process did you start to get some clarity on, on who Nico is and giving and, and in that finding the strength to continue down the road that was sounds to be extremely challenging for any human being, um, you know, to kind of walk down. I'd love for you to be able to kind of share with the with with the audience what what that looked like because I'm assuming it, it was in part addressing traumas, in part you know addressing this sense of uh, being disposable and and maybe not you know being wanted, um, and then also you know living in a very precarious, you know, kind of environment, whether that's, you know, on the streets or the abandoned house, all of these kind of, you know, environmental pieces. How, how are you able to identify who you were in the midst of all of that? So in the midst of all of this uh, stuff, I hear this voice come across uh, YouTube, right? Uh, and this guy's screaming, what up, what up, what up? It's your boy E.T. Thank God it's Monday. <laughs> like, who is this dude, man? Thanking God it's Monday. Let me tap in. Um, he breaks down uh, four different personality styles. It's called the DISC assessment. Mm-hmm. 
if you're interested in that, anybody that's listening, I got it available because it's really what helped me um, identify who I was, my strengths. That was the biggest thing. I identified not so much uh, the unwantedness, the disposableness. You know, my mind was focused on that for so long. Well, I am able to just be rejected by my family. Mm-hmm. The person, who, the people who created me kicked me out. I could have dwelt on that or I could have dwelt on, man, you're very influential. Bro, you got a way with words that you can, you've been able to hustle your whole life. That's a strength, Nico. Maybe you're not doing it in the right ways, but you can talk. So why not talk about positive things? You've been through this stuff. So I, I attached onto my strengths. I started to notice that not only was I just an influential being, I was also somebody who was very assertive. When I said something was going to get done, I got it done. I was very risk averse. So mm-hmm. if, if uh, chances are like one or two percent, my hands raised. Let's do it. That's a strength you know, that I'm willing to go ahead and put my neck out there in some really risky situations that I have that resiliency. I started to identify that. So I didn't look at the events in my life anymore as a poor me. Look what happened to me. La da 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 da. I started looking at it as for me. Yo, that happened for me so I could get stronger. That happened for me so I could influence more people. Yo, I'm so assertive that I could teach people how to go ahead and be that assertive with themselves. That changed the game. It changed the game for me because no longer was it, Nico, uh, you're just this drug addict. It was Nico. Yeah. When you put your mind to something, you get it done. You get that tunnel vision and you're ready to rock. So let's put your mind to some positive things. Let's put your mind to adding value to individuals who might not see themselves quite yet in that light. Because to anybody that's listening right now, you have strengths. You're an amazing human being that is completely unique to this planet. You're brought on here to help somebody. My job may be to help you just see that. Change that perspective from woe is me, poor me, to (laughs) woo woo, all this stuff happened for me. What's up? And I survived. I love that. I mean, that's that's such uh, an amazing paradigm shift, right? To to transition from this mentality of being a victim, um, you know, of your circumstances to being, you know, the hero of your own story, right? And seeing, you know, what in in almost the same breath you would have identified as what made you a victim in the first place is actually your strength and what makes you strong, right? I think that that's that's fantastic, man. Um, from the standpoint, so I mean, clearly, you know, there's there, there are there's a lot of you know, mental quote unquote work being done, right. To kind of change and shift the way that you view the world and how you walk through the world. What are some of the, some of the, the, the near in kind of day-to-day tactics that you use? I mean, I've, I've tried to white knuckle in the past myself and it wasn't successful for me at the, at the time. Um, so I am curious, what were the things that kept you going in those moments where you were literally just fighting your way through, um, through the struggle? So a couple things that kept me going when I was fighting through the struggle was one, uh, first and foremost, my relationship with God. If there was nobody else to go in and call out to, and literally I had nobody that would answer the phone for me. (laughs) Nobody. I could always call to him. So I always felt that I had a friend to talk to. Mm. That was the first thing. So um, I believe that there is a God and I can talk to him when I want to. And that was very comforting. That he's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. He's never going to send me on my way. <laughs> Heck yeah, man. I got a partner for life. So I structured my day with uh, committing to the first few 20 minutes 
Just FYI, the first 20 minutes of my day sets the tone for my day. So um, it's also scientifically proven that the first 20 minutes of your day uh, really does set the tone for your day. So in that first 20 minutes, um, I'm usually praying, reading, and writing. After that, I need some sort of activity. I got to stay active. So uh, for me, that's high-intensity workouts, right? I didn't have a gym membership. Couldn't afford it, or I shouldn't say that. I chose not to pay for a gym membership. Burpees, man, I wear myself out. Body squats, I wear myself out. Push-ups, I wear myself out. Sit-ups, I wear myself out until I couldn't think or even move to want to do the stuff that internally was driving me. Mm -hmm. So those were the four things that I that I had to do, and I do those still even now this morning. Every morning, I get up, I spend some time with my God, I read something that's going to be inspiring, something that I can keep in my head so that I have something to focus on. Uh, because if you don't choose something to focus on, you're going to be given things to focus on. Yeah, I have to have that pre-decided, like this is what I'm going to choose to think about. When these other thoughts come in my head, I'm going to think about this instead. So it was an internal wrestling match. And that's how I approached it. And I used to think, when I wrestled, I took it as disrespect for somebody to put their foot on the line across me. Like, you got a thought in your head that you're going to beat me? Oh, I'm going to make sure that that was disrespectful to me. I'm going to make sure that that never thought, never crosses your mind again. <laughs> so I took the same approach mentally. Yo, drinking, you think you're going to catch me? Bro, nuh-uh. So I started repeating affirmations to myself. Can I share one of them with you? Absolutely. I tell myself, I'm clean. I'm cut. I'm calculated. I'm a son to the most high. I create. I see kingdom outcomes in all situations. Yo, I give generously without expectation because good things are supposed to happen to me. I expect to be successful. I'm building for a greater purpose. The gifts that I've been given, they'll provide for me. I love that. So I tell myself that. I think that 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 reinforcement and that, those affirmations can be so powerful. I mean, I'm I'm at a point in my journey where I have to remind myself to 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 affirm myself, you know, and I think that, you know, sharing that is 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 beautiful. So thank you for that. Um I wanted to ask you uh about your family, right? I'm sure you have a very, you know, intimate relationship and close relationship with your sister, being that you're so close in age and with her children and then your mother and your dad. I mean, they've seen you kind of, you know, go through the ringer, right? You know, over the course of your life. How is kind of you taking these steps into sobriety? First from, you know, the drugs, you know, then, you know, the alcohol. How has that positively affected these relationships that, you know, that have taken some some beaten um, over the over the years for you? It's a great question, Raymond. The way that my family has been positively impacted by my decisions uh, is that they they know there's hope out there. Like for real, I was considered a lost cause. They won't really say it, but actions speak louder than words, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a positive reinforcement that, you know, there's hope. If Nico can go ahead and move from all of that stuff to where he's at now, there is hope out there. So not only have I been able to increase the hope just in my own life and hold on to that, but when they face their own trials, they face their own issues, right? Because everybody has them. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if you guys didn't know this. Your parents have issues because <laughs> they're, they're humans. Those um, moments of hope, they can draw from because when I pull up now, it's not, oh, Nico needs anything. It's like, oh, Nico's coming to bring us something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one way. Uh, the other way is that there's now a 
resilience. Like the blood that pumps through me pumps through them too. <laughs> Think about how many people it took for us to get to this spot, Raymond. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's thousands of individuals that came before us for us just to sit here and share this space together. So it reinforced that we are resilient. My, my bloodline is resilient or strong. That coupled with hope, they know there's not too much that can stop us. Our relationship is there. I do have a relationship with both my mother and my father. Uh, the strongest one is with my sister um, because, yo, that's baby sis. Um, mm-hmm. I'm always going to look out for her. Um, but at this point, I've now been able to recognize that, yeah, my dad has his things that he needs to work through. My mom has her things that she needs to work through. And I get to be the example. I get to be, I get to be the role model to my parents mm-hmm. because they see that, oh, yeah, Nico did have some, some stuff happen to him. Um, and maybe that can allow me to address my thing. So that's a second way that it's been positive, positively impacted. That's great. I wanted to, uh, to ask you about uh, vulnerability and, and vulnerability in the light of what you had mentioned earlier about this necessity to always feel like you were the top dog. I feel like those two things are in conflict with one another. Um, so can you talk to the, to the audience a little bit about, about, you know, kind of walking into your vulnerability and in a lot of ways in doing that, walking away from this, um, you know, this, this, um, character that you've developed for yourself, um, that always needed to be the top dog and what it took to kind of make that. Cause I feel like particularly for like, for men of color, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's a space that we don't we don't operate in very often is a space of vulnerability. So I think it's important to really, you know, to talk about that. And I'd love to hear what your experience was in kind of getting to that place. Cause I, I know that you've talked, you talk about vulnerability. So I'd be, be really, uh, uh, you know, blessed to kind of hear what you, what your thoughts are there. Yeah. Thank you for that question. Cause uh, vulnerability is a crucial portion of this journey. Um, there's a couple of different ways that I talk about being vulnerable. Uh, there's, Two separate uh, scenarios. You got to be vulnerable internally, and then you have to be vulnerable externally. Mm -hmm. I suggest doing the internal vulnerability first. Sit down with yourself and ask, why do I think the way that I think? Be vulnerable with opening up your mind to how you think. Scary. Uh, That story that I started off with, that two-year-old Nico, uh, I had to be vulnerable with myself and dig into why do you feel rejected? Mm-hmm. Why Why do you feel that you are the black sheep, Nico? That's what I used to ask myself. Why? What happened in your life? And don't mask it by saying, uh, you know, well, I can't talk bad about my family. You're not talking bad about your family. You're not talking about bad about those around you, those that helped you out when you were hurting. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is being vulnerable with your own history. Dig into some of those repressed, th- uh, repressed thoughts. Dig into some of these emotions that when they come around, you, you put your guard up, right? Mm-hmm. Like, man, there was times that people would say certain things and, yo, my guard was up quick and I was ready to go to war. But all they were doing was just making a statement or asking a question. So I had to be vulnerable with myself. Like, why do you react that way? Why is that a wound that if somebody touches it, you, you want to? Mm-hmm. What area of my life is still unhealed? Because identity change is one of the biggest things that needs to happen in order for behavior change to happen. And in order to know yourself, you, you got to get to know yourself. 
Just like being vulnerable with a new relationship, just like being vulnerable with a new job. You're going to make some mistakes, but you're still going to press through, right? Mm -hmm. There's still something more important on the other side of it. You want to keep that job. You really want to keep the relationship. So you're going to fight through the vulnerability of messing up the first couple times at work. You're going to fight through that. You're going to be a little bit vulnerable with uh, your partner on some topics that maybe you don't like to discuss. But you're going to talk about them if they ask you to because you want to keep that relationship. That type of vulnerability, if I'm willing to have it with somebody else, a job, why can't I do it internally? The way that I really like to describe it, I used to grow cannabis. And uh, when I would move a plant from one pot to another, the plant's roots were exposed. There was no longer that protection of the the pot around it. Mm -hmm. And I did Indo, so... um, these plants were very delicate. The wrong breath on the root could kill it. And that was my money. So I had to protect these roots. My hands would be covered with gloves, masked, masked up, taking off the pot. And I'm exposing the roots of the plant so I can put it into a new soil. And that new soil is expected to help it to grow. That's what being wrong is. Peeling off that external pot that's been keeping you so safe, but you've outgrown it. These mm-hmm. plants, if I kept them in that one pot, they weren't going to do anything for me. They weren't going to grow any larger because you don't just get a seed and put it in a big old pot. You get a seed and you put it in a little pot. And then when that one's outgrown itself and it gets a little bit high, you move it to the next one. And then when it outgrows itself again, you got to break open that pot and move it into another one. Your roots need to be exposed. Mm-hmm. And when I related my life to these plants, my roots had to be exposed in order for me to grow and because I believe I have a good caretaker, a good gardener, I can always get put in better soil. Mm. So that's the internal. The external, you got to be vulnerable with those around you. Man, I didn't want to tell nobody that I was using heroin. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was uh, an alcoholic. I know that's not the proper term anymore, but at the time, that's what I had to say. And I had to be vulnerable with people and understand that some of them weren't going to accept me anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was the case. There was, there's some relationships that severed. It is what it is because I'm a better human being now. I'm in better soil and they just weren't a part of that journey. I can value the time that I had and that I got to spend with them, but uh, I've heard a phrase. I didn't come up with it. Those who, let's say, let me make sure I get it right. Those who matter won't care. Those who care don't matter. I think that's the right way to say it. Uh, yeah. Those who, those who matter won't care that you're being vulnerable, Right. Mm-hmm. They won't they won't care that you're sharing this vulnerable piece with you and they won't abuse it, use mm-hmm. it, leverage it against you. Those who don't matter, they are going to care. They are going to shame you. They are going to try to mess up your roots. Mm. Gotcha. I think I got that right. Sounds right. <laughs> um, I think it's important. It's, it's, it's crazy, too. Right. You think about, you know, we have this like natural inclination to put up our defense mechanisms and even if intellectually, I think when you start work doing this work, intellectually, you understand that and you try to be mindful about these moments where you feel defensive, but it, you've been innately kind of deferring to this behavior for so long that even when you've kind of removed the substances, you still have this like natural inclination uh, to, you know, to be the fighter or for some, the, the, you know, the flight, the flighter. 
Um, you know, so I think that that's it's important to note that it's not just the acknowledgement, but it's also the continued work and the repetition in these spaces of vulnerability so that, to your point, you can move on to better soil. Right. Um, and w- without your, your your roots withering in the, in the process. Um, so I, I, I love that. I wanted to um, to ask you a few more questions. And, you know, as we kind of like move towards the end of our of our conversation here and um I mean, I probably could go on with and do this with you for you know several hours, but I want to respect your time. Um. <laughs> Raymond, uh, FYI, man, go for it, man. I got the rest of the evenings open, so however long you want to chop it up, no problem. Okay, okay. Well, maybe then I'll then I'll I'll, I'll ask you a few more questions before we get into the into the end of it. Then um, I am curious about you know a lot of people talk about uh, relapse, right? And for you, in you know in 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 quitting the opioids and, and heroin. And it, and it sounds like it was another four years, five years where you had picked up drinking and then, and then, you know, finally got to a point where you pursued sobriety from the, from the drinking. How were you able to abstain from the drugs? Number one, for those five years, when I'm sure that they were calling, calling you loudly. Uh, and then ultimately once you were able to kind of, you know, move away from the alcohol, how did you abstain from the alcohol as well? Did you have any kind of hiccups across or along the process? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I tell that short story in a synopsis, right? But there's okay. many hiccups that I had when, for example, uh, when I first committed to cutting out opioids from my life, I uh, went 60 days by myself and then just decided, nah, this, this ain't for me. Let mm-hmm. me go use again. Um, so I, I've picked up many times in that in that journey. I, by no means do I want to make it sound like it was just a smooth ride from one to the other because I fell off the wagon uh, a few different times. Um, I made the conscious choice to like commit to stopping when I was about 25, 26 years old. Um, mm-hmm. And I didn't actually stop until 27, right? So I'd go weeks without drinking and then something would set me off. And man, screw this. Go get drunk, blackout drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, the relapse portion of it is totally part of the journey. What I like to tell people is that it's it's a dance that you're doing. You're dancing with yourself. You're you're moving at a new beat. So just like when you learn to dance, you stepped on some people's feet, right? Like, right. be honest. If, if you learn to dance, you stepped on a couple of toes every once in a while. You're dancing with yourself. You're gonna step on your own toes now. When that happens, you have a choice. You can continue the poor me mentality, the woe is me, I can't ever do this. Or uh, you can get to the point where there is a point, just FYI, for those listening, that you're just like, this. if this is sober living, I don't want anything to do with it. <laughs> for real, it seemed boring <laughs> to me. i like, this right. is what people do? Like, you guys read and watch TV at night? <laughs> go, to, when- go to sleep early? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Might as well just knit over here, man. Like, let me go hang out with the geriatric individuals at the senior club. It, it, it takes some. It takes some getting used to in the in the you know, in the beginning there for sure. Yeah, it does. It does. But in those moments, we have choices, and uh, we can redevelop our thinking. You can train your mind just like you used to train it to feel okay with a substance, a drink. You could train it to feel okay with an activity. Train it to feel okay with uh, a relationship, a healthy one, hopefully. 
um, somebody that is okay with you being vulnerable and saying, hey, right now, I really want to consume something. Do you have 10 minutes that you can just talk to me? Because that 10 minutes will free my mind just enough that I can. Mm. But I would like to highlight that there's a difference between a relapse and a slip-up. A slip-up is where you just kind of, your subconscious mind, those actions that you're so used to doing, take over. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there with a drink, and you're like, what the heck am I doing? I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't want to do this. And you stop. Relapse is, eh, well, I'm already doing it, so let's keep it rolling. Right. Uh, so there is two variations. I appreciate so, that distinction. Yeah, you got to be able to understand that about yourself. Hey, is this just my 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 preset concept of how I'm supposed to do things? Because think about when you're driving, right? Most people can drive from point A to point B and not consciously think about everything that they're doing. Same thing goes for our drinking habits. Same thing goes for our using habits. You can subconsciously, you've trained yourself so much that you can subconsciously get to point A to point B and not even know thing that happens is at point B, what are you going to do? Are you going to keep on going? Are you going to repeat that step over and over again? Because then that's a relapse. You may want to dig into why, what set you off, what was the event, the environment, the person, what was it? Because all a relapse is, is for me, I'm not trying to downplay, doubt is a unaddressed issue. Mm -hmm. You're just peeling off that onion a little bit more. You're getting down to, to the core of it. Because when you can get down to the core of your issue, for me, that two-year-old little boy that got passed around, that was the core issue. When I got down mm-hmm. to that, I was mm-hmm. able to understand and look from that perspective out rather than into that perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, and I've talked to a few folks and I know I feel this for myself, you know, the gift that, that you know, comes with, you know, living a, you know, a sober lifestyle, right? Or you know, alcohol-free, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, but I, uh, I'm always, you know, just amazed by, you know, number one, you know, kind of the drivers for folks are all different and, I, and the whys for, for why people have, you know, abused substances are all different, but also the whys that keep them on the path are also all different, right? And in those moments for you, when you're, you know, you're relapsing, um, you know, the thing that comes to your mind is so unique to Nico, right? And you would not have been in a place to be able to find that thing had you have not embarked on this journey of self-reflection and development, as challenging as I know it was, right, to be able to get there. And I just feel like it, it for those who are listening, I think it's important to note that it, very few folks who live have an opportunity to take an active role in who they are as a person and who they're going to become as a person. And you might have got have to have gone through some shit, you know, in the struggle of addiction to get to that place. But it really is a unique position of self-ownership uh, when you can you, you take the driver's seat in, in your life. I mean, I'm 42 years old. And I'm in a position to do things and look at my life in a way now that I, quite frankly, never was able to, you know, and I don't know if I would have gotten here if I didn't go through the process of, you know, being, you know, abusing substance. Right. So I just wanted to, like, acknowledge that, you know, in listening to your story. And I and I when I hear your story, I can quite literally envision you being in a setting and having that thought and that conversation with yourself and with your God around, you know, what am I doing and why am I doing it? And what am I going to do moving forward here? I love that. Yeah. Um, sorry, go ahead. 
Well, I was going to say, Raymond, that what you just said reminds me of a quote that I've heard. I think the guy's name is Frankel. Uh, he was an individual who spent some time in uh, um, the internment camps during the Holocaust. And the uh, quote goes, between stimulus and response, there is a space. What mm. you do in that space is on you. Mm. It's exactly what you just described. So we all have those moments, right? You're stimulated to do certain things. The response to that thing is on the other end of a choice that you make. Yeah. So can you identify the, the why, the what, the how? How did I get here? Why am I thinking like this? What am I going to do next? If I can share another tip, um, I have a tool that I use, and it's uh, the term called WAIT. W-A-I-T, the acronym for what am I thinking? So between the stimulus and the response, I wait. I ask myself, what am I thinking? Is this a thought that I really want to have? Because my thoughts control my feelings. My feelings control my actions. So if I can control this, then I can control this. And these stay under my control. Yeah. Yeah, the the mind, the heart, and the hands, right? You gotta. It, it's 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 wild. Like you you don't recognize walking into this that that this journey for some, and it has been for me, really is also a process of like mindfulness and being kind of tuned into the moment. I mean, to be able to 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 consciously take a step back and wait, and you know, and 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 be in that kind of space where you can be quiet enough to identify all of these things. I mean, that's, uh, that's some Zen, that's some Zen stuff right there, Nico. Uh, so I appreciate you, you, you sharing that, 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 that tool. I think it's going to be really helpful for folks. Um, so thank you for that. Okay. So two last questions and, uh, and then I'm going to get you out of here. Uh, the first one, well, usually I say one is usually a, a maybe a hardball. The other one's a softball. I don't think there's any hardballs coming your way. I think you're going to be just fine <laughs> answering, <laughs> answering the question. Um, but uh, the first one is, and we talk a lot about this in, in our, you know, in communities of color where, you know, we don't have, we don't feel comfortable talking about our mental health or comfortable about talking, you know, talking to others when about, you know, our struggles. And, and I've, you know, just been, and I asked this of, of, of all my guests and I asked this because at one point in time, somebody asked me this question. Um, but in the darkest days that you've experienced where you're really, really struggling, how would someone from the outside looking in at you know, have known that you, were, that you were struggling, that you needed some help? It's a great question. Um, from the outside looking in, there are three ways that we all speak, our body language, our tone, and our words. The best way that somebody would have known that there was something going on was by my body language and my tone. The words, man. I'm I'm a character with my words, man. I'm a student of the of the word game. I can make words tie together and make it sound like I'm perfectly fine, but the crackle in my voice because it's like internally I wanted to cry. Mm. That's the tone. That's how somebody would have known. Mm. My body language, it wasn't the best. So that's the other way, right? You can tell somebody's confident if their shoulders are back, their heads up. If you're looking at somebody and you ask them a question on how they're doing and their shoulders kind of shrink in and their chin goes into their chest and their head goes down and their tone changes. That's how you can kind of know that something was wrong. Outside of that, not unless you were in my inner circle, you wouldn't have known. Yeah, appreciate that share out. Uh, last question I have, and this is for, you know, someone who's listening who, you know, maybe identify that they have 
they're having some struggles. They have an issue. They can't, you know, they can't get over the, you know, the alcohol or whatever, whatever their, their vice is that they're trying to really get to the root of, but they don't know the first step. They don't see people around them that are taking steps. Um, you know, what would you suggest to that individual who's looking at embarking on their own journey of healing, their own journey of development and moving away from, you know, the cloud that these substances are, you know, are kind of holding, you know, is holding over their head. What would you suggest to that person who is stepping into this for the first time? What a great question to end on. I would suggest to that individual who's thinking about embarking it on this journey, uh, I would suggest that you take some time, get a piece of paper, a piece of paper and pen. If you want to do it electronically, do it electronically. But write out the person that you would admire. Admire. Hmm. Literally, describe how they would dress. Describe what they would do for work. Describe what they would do on their days off from work. Describe how they would spend their evenings. Describe how they would spend their mornings. Describe how they would spend their first, or I'm sorry, their worst day. And in those descriptions, you're going to identify something that you can take action on. Hmm. It's going to be a little bit scary. You're not going to know if you can do it, but that's... That's the test. It's the test that me and you, Raymond, we faced every day. I may or may not be able to do this, and it is a little bit scary, but I'm going to try it anyways because it's the worst that's going to happen. I'm going to turn into the person that I admire. Right. That ain't too bad. That ain't too bad, man. It's not <laughs> Nico, too bad. That's not bad at all. Nico, where can, uh, where can our, our listeners uh, find you after, uh, after we part ways on this conversation? <sighs> After we part ways on this conversation, there's about three different platforms that they can really find me on. If you're just looking for some more inspiration, my YouTube page is No Halo NM, like New Mexico or Nico Morales. I drop a new video every night at 5.05, and uh, there's some help there for free resources. Uh, IG is usually the other platform, Instagram, um, and you can find me at No underscore Halo NM. Um, that one isn't as frequent, but weekly you'll probably see something on there. And then if you are looking for some additional resources, I talked about my book. I talked about the DISC assessment. Um, and then I talked about my coaching program. All of those can be found at nohalonm.com. Awesome. Nico, look, man, I appreciate you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all the gems that you've dropped You know, on me today. I mean, I was learning, trying to be a student of, of your knowledge, man. And uh, I'm sure that uh, the folks who are listening are definitely going to benefit from from our connection, man. Well, I do appreciate your time and uh, I'll talk to you soon, brother. Sounds good, Raymond. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Stackin' Days podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, email me at rdg at stackandays.com or follow us on Instagram at stackandays. If you like the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and by all means, share it with a friend who you think needs to be invited into the conversation. Until we meet again, be well, one day at a time.